Okay, we are in Lesson 13, and we're looking at Proverbs chapter 10. Actually, over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at this section, which covers Proverbs chapter 10 through the end of chapter 15. And we're going to be looking specifically now at individual Proverbs, whereas before in the first nine chapters, there were, you know, actually maybe whole thoughts that were Proverbs. Now you're going to get into individual verses or two or three verses that cover an idea, and that's what we're going to talk about here for the next nine weeks, is we're going to go through each of these verses individually and see the truth that they are trying to convey. So we want you to be aware of that. Let's look, first of all, at the very first verse, and we're going to see, actually, the very first part of the first verse, which will be our first point. And it basically introduces a new section here in the book of Proverbs, and it's entitled, The Proverbs of Solomon. Does everybody see that in verse 1? Now, here's what I want you to see. The Proverbs of Solomon introduce a new section of the book. Remember I told you that the book of Proverbs actually is a collection of Proverbs, several different collections of Proverbs. And we've already looked at the first collection of Proverbs, which was chapters 1 to 9 from Solomon. Now we are going to get into his individual Proverbs that are listed here in chapters 10 through 15. And so that's what the very first part is, introducing a new section. So we want you to understand that what we're reading now is separate from those first nine chapters. Everybody understand that? It's separate from those first nine chapters. So now what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at each individual proverb. We're going to get up to about verse 17 today. And we're going to look and see the truths that are being conveyed. Now, here's what I want you to notice. As we go through these proverbs... There doesn't seem to be a, a line of thinking as to how they're put in here. For some reason, the Holy Spirit put them the way they were as he inspired the writer to write these and as they were compiled. Uh, so there's not like a, 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 a train of thought here. These are just a collection of Proverbs. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And what you're going to see is, is that these Proverbs tend to cover several different topics. So, for instance, as we go through these Proverbs, and we're going to go through most of the, our remaining time up until into next summer, you're going to find that a lot of them have to do with how you talk. Speech. You're going to find a lot of Proverbs deal with speech. How you use your mouth. How you talk. You're going to find a lot of Proverbs deal with work. Whether you're idle or working. You're going to find that a lot of Proverbs will deal with your behavior. A lot of Proverbs will deal with rewards and so forth. So, what we're going to see is several different Proverbs here today. And they're going to cover different topics. And you might even hear the same proverb being written again or conveyed in a different way later on. So, I want everybody to understand that. So, let's get right into the Proverbs. So, first again, look at verse 1. Look at the second part of verse 1 and notice what it says there. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief 
of his mother. So what we're basically seeing here in verse 1 is the issue of consequences. And the consequences of heeding wisdom or folly affects the parents, is what Solomon is saying. See, when you and I do what we do, whether we heed wisdom or whether we heed folly, my actions, your actions, are not just going to affect us, they're going to affect who? Others. And specifically here in this verse, it says that the actions of the Son are going to affect who? Yeah, the parents. You know what I'm saying? So if you have a wise son, he makes his father glad. Now, why would it make his father glad? His father would have what in him? Pride. And fathers tend to what about their children? They tend to do what? Brag about their children. Now, notice something now. Then when it talks about heeding folly... The switch now is to the despair or the dismay of the mother. Why didn't it say, well, the dad would be upset? <laughs> it's always the mother's fault. Is that what you're saying, Gene? Okay. No, no, it's not always the mother's fault. That's not what I'm looking for here. Okay. Dads will be ready to boast, but they'll just be silent or ignore with folly. But it's the mother who bears the most grief. Why? Why do you think the mother bears the most grief? Okay, you're the emotional beings, but there's another reason why. Think about this culture. I want you to transport yourself back 3,000 years ago to an agrarian culture. Who raised the children? Yeah, the mothers. So when a son goes wrong, who does it reflect on? Yeah, yeah, it reflects bad on the mom. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? It reflects bad on the mother. Why? Because the dad is doing what? Working. And I'll be honest with you, dads were a lot more removed from their families than they are today. I want you to understand something. In fact, in a lot of cultures, a lot of third world countries, you'll see the dad even move to another city to get work and send money back. And the children are raised by who? Mom. So when you look at this proverb here, it says a wise son makes a glad father. A dad can brag even though he didn't have very much to do with it. But a foolish son is the grief of his what? Mother. A foolish son is the grief of his mother. Now look at verse 2. Again, we're going to shift now. We've talked about consequences there. Here's what I want you to understand. We're going to move from one topic to another with each verse. So they're not like connected. Sometimes they are, but most of the times they're not. So I want you to notice something. Verse 2, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. So what we're going to see here is the value of righteousness. First thing I want you to notice is there is no true satisfaction in wrongly acquired wealth. If you wrongly acquire wealth, there's no true satisfaction in that. You're not going to gain any satisfaction. And there's, there's no fulfillment in that. So you notice what it says? Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. You don't get any profit from it. It's only for a fleeting moment. Then you've got to have more. Okay? Then you've got to have more. But then notice something. Righteousness can secure one's existence against death. Righteousness 
can secure one's existence against death. So if I'm leading a righteous life, the chances are that I may prolong my life because I am not engaging in actions or activities that would what? Yeah, shorten my life. Either cause me to get killed or shorten my life because I affect my health. So there's no profit in dwelling in wickedness. There's no fulfillment in that. But, you know, when you live in righteousness, Solomon is saying to you and I, you know, you are securing your future a little bit. Okay, now look at verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. So here we go. We see the satisfaction of needs. And here's what he says. God brings true satisfaction of one's soul. God brings true satisfaction of one's soul. Now, this is an important one. If you want to make a star by number three or put a star by uh, verse three in your Bible, because I want you to understand something here. When you look at people's lives, and I'm going to talk specifically of Christians right now, when you look at the things that we try to fill our life with. Maybe you try to fill your life with your children or your grandchildren. Maybe you're trying to fill your life with your job. Maybe you're trying to fill your life with food or sports or whatever else. It goes on and on and on. There's a, lot of, there's a list of sinful behaviors that we could throw in there as well. What happens is, is we try to fill our lives with those things. Have you noticed that they never satisfy us? Have you noticed that? That we don't find any true satisfaction there. Have you noticed that? That there is no true satisfaction to our soul in those kind of activities. No matter how much you devoted yourself to your children, your children are not going to satisfy the cravings of your soul. No matter how much you devote yourself, let's say, to your spouse, to your marriage, they are not going to satisfy the cravings of your soul. In fact, that's a good... Let's talk about you know, finding satisfaction in your spouse. If you don't find satisfaction in your spouse, you'd better be careful because you may open yourself up to look for satisfaction where? Somewhere else. Someone else. So what we want you to see is, is that what we tend to do is we tend to look in the wrong place for this satisfaction, whatever it may be. Have you ever noticed that? We may try to look for it in the wrong place. And the true satisfier of our soul is who? God. That's what it says here. God brings true satisfaction to our souls. So for myself and for you, if you're here, if I'm here, and we're trying to find a deep soul satisfaction in something, maybe to you it's chocolate, okay? You're trying to find a deep soul satisfaction. Let me just go ahead and say this, and I'll say this to myself as well. We're not going to find it there. The only place it's going to be found is in the presence of God. The only place it's going to be found is in God. So you say, okay, well, George, how do I deal with that? Then, So you go to him and say, Lord, I have something in my life that I'm trying to fill. But Lord, you're the only one who can fill it. Help me to develop my relationship enough with you 
that I find my satisfaction in you alone. That I find my satisfaction in you alone. In fact, you know what? That's not a that's not a foreign concept that I'm talking to you about. See, if you go through the Psalms, if you go through the Old and New Testament, oftentimes you will hear the read the writer say to the reader about his finding fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in God. You'll hear him say those kind of things. And, and can I be honest with you, we tend to kind of just, when we read that, we just kind of just let it, we just kind of go on to the next thing looking for something else. Because what they're talking about is totally foreign to you and I, isn't it? It's totally foreign to you and I. But the fact of the matter is, is that God brings true satisfaction to one's soul. Now look at verses 4 and 5. Here's two verses that go together. He who is he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So here's what I want you to see. These ver- verses talk about the issue of diligence versus idleness. And so here, here's what I want you to see. Diligence brings financial security, whereas idleness brings poverty. Diligence brings financial security, whereas idleness, what? Brings poverty. We see that played out all around us in our culture here, right here in Kerwinsville, Clearfield, in Clearfield County. We see it all the time. Somebody gets laid off from a job. Maybe they're out, maybe their company's outsourced or gone somewhere else. And you'll see it in the mentality between the guy who says the next day he's out looking for a job versus the guy who says, well, I guess I'm on summer vacation or winter vacation, and he doesn't go looking for a job until what runs out? Unemployment runs out. Then he's really hurting because he's waited around, unemployment's gone out, then he can't find anything. See, this is what Proverbs is talking about here. If diligence brings financial security... He's going to look while he's got money coming in. Whereas the other person says, oh, well, you know, I can just go on vacation now. Okay? Isn't that the, isn't that the attitude in our culture here? Right here in our, in our community? Yes, it is, isn't it? You and I have heard that all the time. Now look at verse 6. Here's the issue of rewards. Blessings are in the head, excuse me, blessings are on the head of the righteous. But violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So let's notice now. The righteous, the righteous are decreed blessings where the wicked are marked by violence. You ever notice that? You ever notice that when you have somebody who is wicked, does not know the Lord, and they, they live their life in wickedness, that oftentimes their lives are marked by what? Violence. Violence. In fact, it's becoming more prevalent now, isn't it? It's becoming more prevalent now to that we're becoming more and more a violent culture. Before, you know, there were different behaviors. Like if you went to the store, you know, you, you see it manifested in the store now. People reacting. For instance, how many of you heard about the guy down in Pittsburgh who tried to pass off a million dollar note? Did you guys hear about this? This guy 
goes to the store with a fake million dollar bill, goes to the clerk. Now, first of all, you got to be, come on now, like they got a million dollar change in the drawer there, okay? All right, you're laughing, but this happened. So the guy goes and he goes and he passes off a million, you know, he maybe buys a candy bar and wants change for a million, okay? So the lady says, well, you know, I'll have to call the manager. I, we don't have change for that here. And she thought the bill kind of looked suspicious. Well, you know, there isn't anything higher than 100. There are no bills higher than 100. So the store manager comes over and he confiscates it. The guy then realizes that whatever, he must have dreamed he was going on a trip or something with all the money he was going to get or whatever. He then starts to react violently in the grocery store. He starts to react violently until the cops come and pick him up and take him away. See, that's the culture we live in. Now, that's an extreme case where a guy's doing something wrong by passing off a million dollar bill. But how many times have you seen it in Walmart? Let's take Black Friday. And everybody's lined up to get it. Have you noticed how people are when they're like, there's computers being offered for almost nothing and, you know, and, and so forth, and how people react violently. Have you noticed that when, you know, you're, you're put on hold now with your telephone company or whoever it is that you're trying to call, and it's 40 minutes, even you start to get a little agitated and irritated and become, what? Verbally violent. Have you noticed that? I mean, you might be the meek, mildest person there is put you on the other end of the telephone with somebody who doesn't know you. Do you see what I'm saying? And what we see here is, is that the righteous are decreed blessings, but what? Wicked are marked by violence. That's our culture, isn't it? Our culture is marked by violence. The issue is the person, right? And the wicked are what? Marked by what? Violence. It's the heart of the individual. The heart of the individual. So then let's go on. Look at verse 7. Now he's going to talk about reputation. The memory of the righteous is blessed. But the name of the wicked will rot. So now he's talking about reputation here. And notice what he says. The reputation of the righteous is a blessing, whereas that of the wicked is like death. Have you ever noticed? That's true, isn't it? You take a righteous person, and it may be 20 years later, and people will still have, what? Blessed memories of that person, about what that person did, or they'll share, well, you know, I, I knew this individual, and this is what he did, and, and, you know, and they'll be, what? Constantly, continue, even though he's dead, they'll say, within that generation, they'll say nice things about that individual, and his name will be a blessing. You take a wicked person now, what kind of reputation does he have? I've heard it. Well, that guy was just a dirty, no-good scumbag. Couldn't trust him for nothing. And it's continually, do they talk about anything that he ever did that was right? No, what do they talk about? Everything that he ever did that was what? Wrong. See, it's, see, it's death. It's, it's it basically, I think Proverbs puts it even better here in the scripture. The name of the wicked will rot. 
The name of the wicked will rot. Now look at uh, number seven in your book. We're going to look at wise and foolish uh, conduct. We're going to look here. This three verses here specifically, verse eight, nine, and ten. So let's take a look here. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fail. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. So these verses are connected here. Okay, these verses are connected. So let's look at wise and foolish context. First of all, verse 8, we see the compliance with commands. A wise person, a wise person is teachable, but a fool, and it should be can't. I forgot the apostrophe T there. Cannot quit talking enough to learn anything. You ever notice that with somebody? A wise person will listen to a command and heed it. He's teachable. But a fool can't quit talking enough for you to tell him anything. You ever notice that? He's not teachable. They're always bombarding you with words. Continually talking, and because of that, they stay what? Yeah, they stay a fool. You know, they stay a fool. And so what we see there is, is that a wise person will listen, but a foolish person... Notice something. Remember I told you before that a lot of the Proverbs will talk about speech? Because, remember now, remember what Jesus said, out of the heart, what, the mouth speaks, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? See, your mouth is really a revelation of who you are on the inside. You understand what I'm saying? So, this prating fool is one who, what, doesn't speak, just can't stop speaking enough to learn anything, to hear anything. So then notice the security of integrity. Walking in security brings security, but the wicked will be revealed. When you and I walk in integrity, we have security in that, but wickedness will be revealed. Wickedness will be revealed. And then look now at verse 10. We're going to see the issue of corrupt behavior. So he's moved now from the issue of teachability in verse 8, now to the issue of integrity in verse 9. He gets now into the issue of behavior in verse 10. And here's what he says. Winking maliciously with one's cohorts suggests sinful behaviors. Winking maliciously. That's, that's that hidden body language stuff that goes on where you know, you're kind of like, you know what I mean, Bruce? You know, winking and, you know, shuffling of feet and, and so forth. That kind of activity suggests sinful intentions. So there's some wisdom there. If you see somebody, if I'm talking to Rod, and I'm talking to Rod, and I say, Rod, I'm going to do this, but I keep looking over at Bruce, you know, like, Bruce, you know the real scoop. I'm not going to do it, even though I'm telling Rod that. Rod would be wise to keep looking, to recognize, I don't know if I believe George, because he keeps looking over at Bruce. And Bruce is trying to contain himself from laughing. You know, so with that is wisdom there. Then, you know, something's afoot here. I don't know that I should trust these guys. How many of you have been in situations like that before? 
You know, all of us have at some point or another where you've seen the, the body language going on between two people that you're, that you're talking to one of them and there's this body language like the shiftiness going on there that suggests that there's some sinful intentions here. So you would be wise to be aware of that. And here's another one. Again, getting back to the issue of speech, again, out of the behavior, here's what he says. A talkative fool will himself eventually get into trouble. A talkative fool will himself eventually get into trouble. Again, I think back, 1995, I went to my first church. There was a lady in that church. She just liked to speak her mind. Whenever, she would just blah, blah, blah. You know, just just telling you like it is. Whether you ask for it or not, just blah, blah, blah. And she did. It was like blah on you. And and here's what she would say. You know, you would say, and she would say, she, didn't even, she would have been recognized. She even knew that what she was doing was wrong because here's what she would say. That's just my personality. I just say it like it is. Well, let me tell you something. She kept getting into trouble. She kept getting into trouble because she hadn't learned to what? To control her tongue. She hadn't learned to control her mouth. And so she kept getting into trouble by her speech. All kinds of issues. Because she just kept blah, blah, blah. But guess what the Bible describes her as? Anybody know what the Bible describes her as? Yeah, a fool. Because, now why would you say somebody like that's a fool? Let's talk about that for a moment. Why would somebody who just blah, 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 just blurts it out there, doesn't consider anybody else, doesn't consider anybody else's feelings, just says it like it is. Okay, do you hear what Bruce said? Just because they view it as that's the way it is, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way it is. Okay, that's one answer. That's good, Bruce. Anybody else? Why is this person considered a fool? Yes, correction didn't even help. Okay, so she didn't respond to correction. Okay. Why else? Why would this person... Oh, that's a possibility. Okay, Tom says the possibility was maybe she didn't wasn't a Christian. Okay. No, but I want you to think about it. When you've got somebody who just spews out, blah, 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 doesn't care less, why is that person a fool? You call them a fool, so you, there must be a reason why you call them a fool. Why? That's good, Mike. Do you hear what he said? They're out of control. And they're not in control of themselves, number one. And number two, God is not in control of them. Does everybody understand? When you have somebody who just, bruh, says it like it is, doesn't care, does not consider their words. The Bible describes them as a fool because with a fool, remember now, the, in Proverbs, who is a fool? Everybody, who's a fool in Proverbs? The unsaved. What's, what does it say about an unsaved person? They, first of all, have no regard towards who? God. So if they don't have any regard towards God, do you think they're going to have any regard towards you? See, and it's reflected in the fact that they don't control their mouths. They don't control their mouths. 
So then look now at verse 11 and 12. We're going to look at good and evil conduct. Again, look now, notice something. Verse 11, specifically again, talks about the issue of what? Anybody? The mouth. Notice what it says there. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. But violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Okay, so let's notice what it says here. We're going to talk about good and evil conduct. The words of a righteous person are like free-flowing and refreshing, like a free-flowing and refreshing cool spring. How many remember when Glenn Taylor was here? Probably four years ago, he came and did the moose thing for us on the outdoor seminar, but then he spoke in the morning message. How many remember when he spoke in the morning message? Some of you weren't here. But what he talked about was talking, speech, and that you and I, we convey words of life or death. When you and I speak, we communicate either with words of life, that is building people up, or with words of death, that is what? Tearing people down. See, that's what verse 11 is talking about here. In verse 11, the words of a righteous person are like a free-flowing, refreshing, cool spring. Okay, now, for you and I, let's go back in that culture. Let's go back 3,000 years to Palestine for a moment. And in Palestine, there are two types of water sources. There were the springs... And they were free-flowing and they were refreshing. The other source was these cisterns. These, they would dig out a hollow place in the ground and they would let the water from the rain run off into it and collect there. Now, it tended to be, what would, you know, if you had a rain barrel and you collected the water out of your drain and you just kind of let it sit there, what happens to it after a while? Yeah, it gets stagnant. And that's what they would drink from. Now, is that pretty refreshing? But a free-flowing stream would be what? Refreshing. See, the words of a righteous person are refreshing, is what the Scripture is saying here. They build up. But then notice the next point there. The wicked are motivated by hatred, which brings dissension. So the wicked person, instead, is someone who's motivated by hatred, and what they do is they stir up strife. They're always stirring something, aren't they? They're always bringing up dissension. They're always trying to what? Stir the pot with people. They're always trying to bring dissension into a group. Here's the thing. Let me just be honest with you. I'm going to say this again. I say this over and over again. But I want you guys to be aware of it. Here's, here's who I am. Here's my you know, pastor... I have several responsibilities that have been given to me. One responsibility is to teach you, so hopefully I fulfill that role. Okay. The other responsibility I have from the Scripture is to protect you. Do you know that? My responsibility, and, and a lot of us think, yeah, you're supposed to guard us from bad doctrine. You're right, that's part of my thing, but I'm also supposed to guard you from wolves. I'm also supposed to guard you from people who will come in and cause problems. And so I want you to listen to me for a moment and hear me out. Not everyone who comes here to the church is supposed to be here. Not everyone who comes to the church is supposed to be here. 
Because someone may come to the church and they are motivated by what? Hatred. Not necessarily hatred for us, but they come in with their baggage and it ultimately brings what? Dissension. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? See, the responsibility of the elders, that's why you elect elders. Can I be honest with you? You elect spiritual leaders who you know have been tried and who are tested, who are going to be spiritual leaders because they're to guide the flock spiritually and they're to guide the flock and guard the flock against outside influences that might hinder and harm. Because how many of you have been at churches where you have seen people stir the pot and you knew that in their heart they were rotten to the core? How many of you have seen something like that? All of us have, haven't we? What would a church have been like if years earlier they were guarded out? Yeah, it would, have, it would have saved a lot of grief, wouldn't it? See, we want all kinds of people to come. Don't get me wrong. I'm praying for the whole county to come if we can get them in here. But, I'm going to tell you something right now. There are people in the county who don't belong here. Do you understand what I'm saying? I say, aren't you being a little exclusive, George? No. You know, you would protect your family from garbage, wouldn't you? You would protect your family from predators, would you? Let me tell you something. There are people who are predators. They prey on churches. The enemy has people he will use to destroy churches. And so why, how did you get off on that? Because the wicked are motivated by hatred, which brings dissension. Number one problem in churches always starts with what? Bottom word. Dissension. 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 And see, it's the wicked that bring that about. But then notice something. Here's the thing. Because this, this is a good verse. These two verses are good verses for a church to grasp the hold of. Because we've got a lot of people here, and sooner or later, somebody's going to rub somebody wrong. Isn't that right? Sooner or later, I'm going to irritate Bruce, if I haven't already. I'm going to irritate Bruce. Now, Bruce can respond one of two ways. He can respond like this guy and stir up dissension and say, Oh, Tom, you won't believe what George did to me. And Tom says, Yeah, I can't believe he did that. Gene, did you hear what George did to Bruce? And all of a sudden you start having two sides developing. That's one. But then notice the next verse. Here's the next thing. This is what we hope to see in our church. Love covers wrongs by forgiving the wrongdoer. Love covers wrongs by forgiving the wrongdoer. See, somebody motivated by hate is going to what? Spread dissension. Not just with the pastor, but maybe with somebody else. You know? Maybe with somebody else. Maybe with somebody else. So, Louise Harmon over here, she gets irritated with Joy, and so she's got a choice of two decisions to make. She can either forgive Joy, because she loves Joy, or she can say, I am not going to put up with that. Marilyn, you won't believe what she did to me. Marilyn goes over here and talks to Debbie. Debbie talks to Joanne. All of a sudden, there's this group here. I can't believe that we tolerate somebody like Joy in our church. Haven't we seen that? It's not just with the pastor. Sometimes we've seen that stuff happen in our church. See, you see two responses. Proverbs is really telling us the truth here, isn't it? And notice how he introduced it. The words of a righteous person are what? 
It starts with words in verse 11, doesn't it? It starts with words. And somebody who's motivated, got baggage and stuff, is going to bring about what? Problems. Okay, look at verse 13 and 14. Boy, we can't get away from it. Foolish speech now. We're going to talk about wise and foolish speech. Look at verse 13 and 14. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish of the foolish is near destruction. Okay, so here's a discerning person speaks wisdom. A discerning person speaks wisdom. You tap somebody who's discerning, who's wise, usually when they speak, and notice something, they don't speak all the time, but when they speak, you listen. Because usually they have something to say. Then notice now the foolish person. The speech of a fool continually needs correction. Anybody notice that? The speech of a fool continually needs correction. Let's go back to the example I gave you. Notice what she always said. Because obviously she got corrected all the time, so now she had built up a response to it. And her, she said, I just say, I just say it like it is. I just speak my mind. That is a response of someone who's been corrected before, but has chosen what? Not to heed correction. That's the response of someone who is not teachable, who is not willing to listen and say, well, let me examine my behavior for a moment. Maybe I am wrong. Nope. They're not even thinking they're wrong. They're just saying it like it is. So then notice something now. The wise person, listen, the wise man, listen now, again, the contrast here, the wise man silently stores wisdom. The wise man silently stores wisdom. He, he, he's, he's soaking it in. He's, you know what I'm saying, he's analyzing. He's bringing it all in. He's not saying a lot. But he's silently listening and bringing it in. But then notice something now. Again, contrast back to the fool. Here's what it says. The fool speaks prematurely. They don't have complete information, and they already got an answer for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? They don't even have complete understanding of an issue, and they're already what? Telling you something, telling you what you need to do. They're ready. I mean, you're not even done with your sentence. Boom, they got an answer for you. What's that say about a person? He's a fool. Okay, now look, notice now, we're down to verse 15. We're going to switch now to the issue of wealth. Look at verse 15. Here's what it says. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, but the destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now here it is. Financial security provides a hedge against disaster whereas poverty provides none. Financial security provides a hedge against disaster, but poverty provides none. There's wisdom there. We don't have enough time to go into that. Look now at verse 16. Look what verse 16 says. The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of the wicked to death. Again, talking about rewards, moral choices determine the rewards rewards of life or punishment. Your choices, your moral choices determine 
rewards of life or punishment. Now, that is so opposite of what our culture will tell you today. Just do what you want to do. Just have fun. Nobody, just you, it's your truth. But you know what? Your choices result in what? Rewards of life or punishment. Rewards of life or punishment. And then finally, verse 17 now, we're going to look at the issue of discipline, the benefit of discipline. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. So here's the final point. Accepting discipline benefits others, whereas ignoring discipline leads others astray. Accepting discipline benefits others, whereas ignoring discipline leads others astray. All right, next week we're going to continue on, continue plugging away. See, now does everybody understand how these flow? Before we were looking at thoughts. We were looking at sections of thought in the first nine chapters. Now we're dealing with individual proverbs. Sometimes they're a single proverb. Sometimes they're like a two or three. And so you see how it's flowing. And that's the way it's going to be for a while until we get to, like, say, chapter 29 or 30. So most of the book is yet to come, which is just individual proverbs. And a lot of them say...